Hey everyone, Pastor Blake Harkup here from Bedrock, Sarasota. I just wanted to take a minute to welcome you to our podcast. We hope that you get to know God more, that you feel encouraged, and that you see how God's moving in your life from a brand new perspective. Enjoy today's message. Good. All right. Isn't it exciting to be in this place? And uh, I just want to start off by saying thank you to Faith Prez and what they're doing and their willingness to share and see the kingdom of God move forward and uh, for us as a young church to be here. And, and I know that we have some guests from Faith Prez in here with us, so thank you for being with us and, and being a part of this morning. And last night was a really incredible night. Uh, we uh, All the lights went out, so it was good. We had a great time of worship, and then afterwards, if you missed it, we uh, played the movie Elf. We rented a big screen. We were out on the lawn, and we got to meet lots of neighbors and new people, and it was just a really wonderful night and a, and a way to be here. And, you know, sometimes I think about this. I was with Kelsey uh, this week. So this week, we were in here working like crazy. There was a whole crew of people uh, in the ceilings and all kinds of stuff. Um, and I just thought of, with Kelsey, I just remember when it was just like us walking around a building three years ago, praying that God would help us plant a church. And then here we are, you know, and it's not even been three years yet. And all that God has done, sometimes it's so hard to see those things, but you just see the faithfulness of God to build and grow his church, to reach people. If you are faithful to preach the gospel and to, to take that message to the world, God's going to do the work. God is going to do it. And so I am just so thankful to be here and be part of this. In fact, um, you know, this week I was in preparation for the message, and one of my favorite movies it just came on Netflix. So it's brand new. If you haven't seen it, it's called The Darkest Hour. Uh, it's about one of my favorite leaders in the world, Winston Churchill. And uh, it really leads up to this very dark time during, during World War II where Britain is about to be overcome. Europe, Central Europe is falling to Hitler. And it's this time as, as you watch the movie, I would really encourage you to go watch it because the way that they film the movie makes it seem hopeless. Like everything is very dark, everything is very dingy, and, and even the way the movie looks, you kind of are without hope. And really that's what tonight's or this morning's message is about is when the future seems hopeless, right? Because in that movie... Um, it really begins to talk about this place called Dunkirk. You may have heard it. There's another movie called Dunkirk. So The Darkest Hour kind of is uh, with Winston Churchill and his leadership and what they're trying to do on the British side. And the movie Dunkirk is about them surviving on the beach. So what has happened in this moment is on, on May 25th, 1940, was probably one of the darkest days for Britain and, and really the world. Because here's what's happening. Um, on that day... Germany is making its way through France. France has just fallen. And the entire Allied forces of Britain, Belgium, and a little bit of French soldiers, 400,000 of them are on the beaches of Dunkirk. The, they're completely surrounded. The sea is at their back. The English Channel is at their back. And the Germans are slowly making their way into this area. They would fly planes over the beach and drop bombs, and they were stuck. These, these people were really stuck. And for Britain, this was a huge problem because the majority of their military was stuck on that beach. Now, the problem was is that uh, German U-boats had sunk ships in the harbor at Dunkirk, so no British military ships could get into the harbor. 
And so Churchill is facing this moment where he is beginning to look out at the world and the future looks really hopeless. The future, it actually, it seems like nothing's going to happen. In fact, in the movie, um, Belgium has just surrendered. France is about to fall. In fact, Churchill, this is an interesting aside, Churchill told France, hey, before you fall, because it's going to happen, we need you to give us your naval fleet. The majority of the French naval fleet had moved out of France and into the Mediterranean Sea. And what Churchill knew was that the moment that France fell, Britain or Germany would now have a naval fleet. Germany really didn't need one because they're landlocked. But now they would have all these ships, including their U-boats. And so Churchill said, you have 12 hours to give us your fleet or we're going to sink all of your ships. France decided not to give England their ships and Churchill sunk them all at the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea because it was getting so hopeless and he was becoming so desperate. And really, Churchill knew that our Navy is the only thing that's keeping us between us and Germany. And so... Um, If you remember, the United States doesn't get into the war very early. In fact, we have to take a direct hit before we'll get involved. The United States had just signed this act just before this date called the Neutrality Act. The Neutrality Act basically said that the United States would not get involved in anything happening in Europe at the time. In fact, the United States had sold P-51 airplanes to Britain to help their Royal Air Force, and because of the Neutrality Act, could not ship the planes over to Britain. So what... Our president said, Roosevelt, he told Churchill, if you want the planes, we will take the planes to within a mile of the Canadian border, and then you can come across the Canadian border and get them, but you have to use horses, because the act requires that no motorized vehicle would come in, and we would not help them with any vehicles. I mean, just think about this for just a second. You have the greatest tyrant uh, in modern history decimating the entirety of Europe. And now he's knocking on your door and your friends from across the sea will not help. Your your military is stuck on a beach just across the channel and there's really no hope. And I haven't felt that hopeless before except for maybe when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I was about eight years old. Um, Aaron's here. Aaron knows. He might remember this actually um, because he helped me with something else. But um, when we were kids... Behind my house, there's an eagle's nest, and there's about like 60 acres of woods. Um, That land is prime development land. And when I was about eight years old, someone lit the woods on fire behind our house. Um, It was, we don't know who it was, okay? But if the eagles left and the nest burned, it all of a sudden went from protected land to unprotected land. And it could be developed. And so we remember seeing all this smoke back behind the yard, and we remember the fire trucks pulling up to our house, and my parents have a two-story house in their balcony could see into the woods. And I remember going up there with firefighters on walkie-talkies, telling them, here's where the fire is, here's where the blaze is, here's where you need to move, here's where we need to dig a trench. And I was watching my childhood, like, play place burn to the ground. See, I was a kid that always wanted to be in the woods. In fact, Aaron and I used to cut palm fronds and like sharpen them and get little sticks and make bows and arrows. Like we were in the woods constantly. In fact, after the fire, we would take kids in our neighborhood because of all the trails they cut for the fire on a tour, right? We'd be like, you guys want to go to the woods? We're going to take you on a tour. And so, but I remember looking at that moment and feeling so helpless because for me, it wasn't just the eagle's nest. It was 
everything that I had put like kind of my time and my effort into was literally burning before my eyes. And as a little kid, eight years old, I felt like it's over. What am I going to do now? Play inside? I mean, this is awful, right? And I remember feeling so helpless. Where are you right now? Because as we think about life and we think about all these things, the, the, the hopelessness of the future can begin to rob you of joy in the present. And if we can't see forward into the future, I really believe that the joy of our life is taken. We're such a forward-thinking people, right? I remember being a kid and just thinking about, man, I wonder what I'll look like when I'm 20. I wonder what I'll look like when I'm 16. I, I have not met my expectations, okay? I'm like, man, you're still a little fat. Okay, we got to get this going. But in this moment, you have to realize, and maybe you're in this time of your life where the future doesn't look so good. Maybe you can't even dream anymore. You, you, you can't even think about the future because this current moment that you find yourself in is like watching a forest fire. And you see your current life and your current hopes literally burning away. Today, we're going to be in that kind of moment in the Bible. We're going to be in this moment where we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. If you know anything about the book of Isaiah, it's this really incredible prophecy that Isaiah gives to the nation and to his world, but it's in a really bad circumstance. See, Isaiah, like many prophets, generally prophets are not bringing good news. Sometimes they are, like, hey, there's going to be this child born, like there's, there's messages that come, but generally the role of a prophet, especially in the Old Testament, was like, hey, if you don't cut this out, God's going to send something to us, and he's going to literally cut our legs out from under us, and we're going to suffer greatly. So it's time to turn the boat around. That's exactly what Isaiah does. And the very first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah are all about this impending doom. Isaiah says, hey guys, we've begun to worship other gods. We've begun to do all of these things and God is going to send two nations to rule us, Assyria and Babylon. And they are gonna come in and they're gonna light our forest on fire. They're going to burn our hopes alive. We are not going to be able to move forward. Then the last half of the book of Isaiah, maybe you guys have heard of these, like Isaiah 53 is probably one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. For a long time in Judaism, the last half of Isaiah was denied because it's so messianic. If you read Isaiah 53, I would challenge you to go home today and go read Isaiah 53 and you'll think you're reading the New Testament. But this prophecy in Isaiah 53 is given over 700 years before Jesus even arrives on the scene. And the last half of the book is, hey, this is going to be bad, but God is sending this future suffering servant, and he's going to rescue us. He's going to take care of us. Everything is going to be okay. Don't lose hope. But see, just like in Isaiah, Isaiah basically says things are going to go from bad to worse. Things are going to go in, in the life of Israel, and all that is coming is going to cause you to lose hope in the future. And I think for so many of us, like in the season we were just in with COVID, and just the life that we live in, the future looks bleak for so many of us. Like we just, uh, some of us don't even want to think about what the future is going to look like, because the current atmosphere, you're like, it, could it get worse than this? Isaiah says, it's going to get worse than this. I mean, because here's what is happening in this moment. And in that movie, The Darkest Hour, that's exactly what Churchill is experiencing because it goes from bad, like your soldiers are over here, to worse. See, because Britain had a little bit of a force in this town called Calais, 4,000 soldiers. So there was Calais and Dunkirk. 
And Churchill had to make the call of, hey, I need you guys to try to stop and slow down the German army so that we can try to save the rest of the army in Dunkirk. Everybody, all 4,000, were either died or captured. I mean, do you know what that would do to you and your soul, knowing that 4,000 souls had either been perished or taken because of a decision that you had to make? And then what happens in this moment is not only that, his government begins to tell Churchill, because it's getting from bad to worse, hey, we need to start to negotiate with Hitler. We need to start to negotiate peace with Hitler because let me just tell you something. When things go from bad to worse and you can no longer see a hope in the future, you'll begin to compromise on what you believe to be true. That's what hopelessness does to you. It will take your principles and shake your foundation and it will cause you to stumble and move. In fact, there's this scene in the movie where the entire government is kind of turning, his war cabinet is turning against Churchill the day looks so dark, this happens on May 25th, that they say, you, we have to negotiate with Hitler. And this is what Churchill said. He said, you cannot negotiate with a lion while your head is in its mouth. And they were like, our head is in his mouth. Like he is coming. And the planes begin to fly over into Britain. And what happened is, is when it goes from bad to worse you'll start to compromise on your beliefs. Because let me just ask you, church, like, where are you with God right now? Is your life not going like you expected it to go? Are you facing certain situations in your life like Israel may have been facing? And some of it may be some of your own doing. Some of it is not God's punishment towards you. It's just a natural consequence of what you're doing. So don't get mad at God when you're bringing, you know, if you can't pull hell up into your life and expect to get heaven. Some of what is happening in your life, you're, you're angry at God because it's going from bad to worse, and God's saying, this isn't me. This is the natural consequence of what happens when you walk this way. The book of Romans talks about this, that he's going to let us over to our desires, and our desires will lead to death, right? For the wages of sin is death, physical, spiritual, emotional, and relational death. And so God says, I'm going to let, let you over to these things, but in that moment, Churchill begins to compromise on what he knew to be true. That's exactly what happens to Israel. Because the day goes worse and the day gets darker, they kind of double down on their issue. Has anyone in here ever done that? That when things go from bad to worse and the thing that's pulling you from God, you kind of double down on thinking that it will get you back to him some way? See, sin will always take you further, faster, and longer than you ever intended. I need to feel better, so I need to eat more. I need to eat more so I feel better. But I don't like that I'm getting bigger, but I need to eat more to feel better. You see, it just begins to pull you and take you down into this moment. And that's exactly what hopelessness will do for you. When you don't have a brighter future and a vision for what is to come, you'll be succumbed by everything in this life. So Israel doubles down. Isaiah says, hey, this is what's going to happen. And Israel's like, you know what? We're not going to stop. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. So in chapter 34 of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah begins to say, okay, I really want you to understand what's going to happen in this time. And this is the language that he uses to tell Israel, like, hey, here's what the future looks like, guys. I want to let you know because we haven't turned, we haven't stopped, we haven't moved away and turned back to God 
Here's what the future looks like for us. Okay, these are the words that he used. All mankind will be lost. Total devastation across the entire earth. And then he says, you want to like kind of know what it's going to look like? It's going to look like a sword being filled with blood. Hey, Israel, I just want to let you know what our future looks like. Mankind's going to be wiped out. The earth is going to be devastated. And to describe it to you, it's going to be like a sword filled with blood. Let's have a great day today, okay? Like, go get them, guys. I mean, if that was the message, would everyone go out of that message and be like, yeah, let's go get it. I'm going to go farm today. No, you'd be like Ecclesiastes. All of this is for nothing. Why even try today? Why even start to move forward today? Look at the future. There's no future. I'm just going to stop. I'm going to stay in my bed and watch Netflix all day. I'm just going to wear pajamas all day. I'm just eat, I'm surviving off of ramen. Right? That's what happens. And how many of us can relate to that quarantine time during COVID? In fact, we have the great resignation going on in our country because the future looks bleak and doesn't look so good. And people just gave up because their hope was stolen from them because their foundation was taken from them because it was built on the wrong thing. But God says to Isaiah, listen, we got to give the people a word because I'm not done with Israel yet. Israel might be done with me, but I'm not done with Israel yet. And so I need to start to tell them and help them dream again and start to see that there's a possible future again. So Isaiah chapter 35 opens up in this way. Isaiah 35 verses 1 to 6. If you have your Bible with you, jump there. If not, don't worry. It's on the screen for you. The wilderness, talking about this exile, and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with great joy, singing. He says, this desolate place that there's no hope, all of a sudden, in this place, there's going to be great joy, and there's going to be singing, and there's going to be flowers, and there's going to be life in the middle of a desert. And for so many of us, that's the way the Bible describes a moment of despair, the wilderness or the desert. So let me just ask you, church, like, where is there a wilderness or a desert in your soul right now? Like you're in a far off, desolate place. It seems like there's no life and there's no way to go. And the future looks lost and the future looks hopeless. And so you're just like in your spiritual jammies watching Netflix and eating ramen. You're just giving up. Because the current circumstance, the current darkness has stolen your ability to see. This is what I, Isaiah says, this is what's going on with you, but I want you to understand what's going to happen. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our exile, in the midst of our desert, God is going to bring new life. God is going to bring a future hope. And where we can't dream, he's going to bring streams of life. He's going to bring newness, and he's going to bring new things, not because of what we do, but because of who he is. He will give us a future hope. And so what happens here is he says this. Look at what happens to the people. Verse 3, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart. Man, they dealt with anxiety then. I mean, that's the word, right? The earth's going to be desolated. All people are going to be lost, and the sword's going to be filled with blood. I'd get a little anxious. I'd be like, this, is, um, this is, seems bigger than me. I don't... Uh, you know, what do we do here? 
The Bible describes this as these people are so anxious, they're physically shut down. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but anxiety can do that to so many of us. It can literally shut down your body. I can't move. I can't get out of bed. I can't wake up. I don't want to wake up. That's the type of anxiety that Israel is feeling right now. Their hands are weak. They can't work. Their knees are feeble. They can't get up. That's the type of anxiety that the, the people are feeling because they have an anxious heart. Listen to what God says to them. Look, in the middle of your desert, in the middle of your disaster, this is what God says. Be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Even while you're rebelling, even while you're without hope, even while all of these things are going on in your life, God is going to come and he's going to rescue you. Then, he says, the eyes of the blind shall be open. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped or unclogged. Then he sh the lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So Isaiah goes, hey, we might have lost vision of the future, but don't worry. In the middle of our loss of vision, in the middle of our disaster, in the middle of our issues, God's going to bring forth new life. This might be for somebody in here. But you know, when I was a kid and I looked at the forest that was burning in front of me, I thought all hope was lost. I mean, trees were burnt, palm trees, it just looked awful. It smelled awful. And I just remember, like, that's it. This, it's going to be a desolate place forever. There's going to be no life here. If you went to my parents' house today, you would never know that there was a forest fire. Because in the desolate place, through a fire, God brought brand new life. In the middle of the disaster, there were seeds planted in the ground that would only come to life if there was a disaster. There were seeds planted in the ground in that forest that needed a fire, needed a desert, needed desolation to be brought to life. Church, could I just encourage you and help you see the future for just a second? Maybe you're in the wilderness right now, but God has planted seeds in your life that will not come to fruition until there's a fire. This is what Isaiah says. This, you are going to be devastated. You are going to be overrun. You are going to be overcome. But just know that in the desert, there's going to be streams of new life. There's going to be blossoming. There's going to be these things that happen. And we're going to be okay. And the blind will see and the deaf will hear and the mute will sing. The lame will leap. Like God is going to do a new work in the midst of your desert. Well, here's where we are now. See, when things go from bad to worse and when you get to this point of anxiety, here's what the Bible's telling us. You've got to tell a better story. See, because when your future looks bleak, you won't tell a good story of the future. And so you'll have a problem. And what this says is when you face anxiety because you're worried about what's going to happen, you need to start telling yourself a better story. But you can't make it up. You've got to read the story. Because no matter how dark the day gets, no matter how dark the hour is, God has written a story. I had a college professor, if you've been to Bedrock for a while, he, I, he, I love this line. He said, God wrote a book. Have you read it? I, don't, I mean, spoiler alert, 
Like, there is a spoiler book in here. It's called Revelation. It tells you everything. If you don't want to know what happens at the end, you want to be surprised, don't read Revelation. I'm just going to tell you, everything goes back to Eden. New heaven, new earth. Heaven's not the end point. We all know that, yeah? Heaven is just a holding place because God's creating a new earth where he will reign with us and he will live with us forever just like he was supposed to in Eden. And so what happens here is we've got to start telling ourselves this better story. And so now we're going to fast forward to the New Testament because we're in this series called Promise where every need is fulfilled and Jesus begins to teach on this passage. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, and Jesus is the promised one who will bring all of this new life in Isaiah 35. So if you have a Bible with you, open up to Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to start right in verse 1. Listen to what the Bible says. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John, this is John the Baptist, heard in prison, that's important, He's in a dark, desolate place, a place of no hope. There's not a lot of hope when you're in prison, especially for why John the Baptist is arrested. So while John is in a wilderness, he heard about what Jesus was doing, and he goes, and and John has a problem. He says, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, you got to ask this to Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? See, John the Baptist is experiencing a wilderness moment. He had been the one to prepare the way of Jesus. And let me just tell you, if we go back just a few chapters, Jesus shows up by the River Jordan and walks up. And John the Baptist, before even knowing, hearing his name, goes, behold, the Lamb of God. See, when everything is good and life is good and you're baptizing people in the Jordan, you'll recognize God's truth right away. It's when you get into the darkness that you'll begin to question what you already know. See, there is a way that when we get into a wilderness moment, it will cause you to question everything. So here's the deal. There's no such thing as a dumb question, but you've got to ask the right question to get the right answer. And you've got to ask the right person the right question, right? See, what hopelessness does for you is it will cause you to run from the one who has the future in control and cause you to run to everything else. How many of us in here are trying to get our future happiness answered by things that could never satisfy us? All the time, right? I'm just gonna go to Instagram and just take a look because that's gonna tell me what I need to be happy. I'm gonna let this trainer tell me what my body needs to look like. Go to a trainer, that's okay. It's just not your future hope. Right, I'm gonna go to this website and look at things that I shouldn't look at to just appease me right now because I have no future hope. It will cause you to question everything. And so, church, let me ask you a question. Where are you in this life? Are you questioning everything? There is no sin in questioning everything. We just want to make sure you go to the right person for the right answer. And you say, like, I don't know where to go. Like, I just wish God would speak. He did speak. So clearly, he had it written down. Right? You know when you want to have a hard conversation, but you don't want it all in writing? You don't text it or email it, because people can always go back to it, right? If you want to make sure that everyone can read what you wrote and said in in their time of doubt, know what they need to do, you write it down. There's no doubt. You want to know what God says? It's right here in the book. It's right here, and we can go back to it in every moment. See, 
this dark and, and hopeless time will cause us to question everything. And that's exactly what happens to Churchill. See, I remember I told you that line where he said, you cannot negotiate with a lion while your head is in its mouth. And everyone says, look, this isn't going to work. We're all going to resign. We're all going to have a problem. And in that moment, Churchill looks to his friend who looks over at him and is like, I'm not standing with you anymore. In the moment that Churchill felt alone, the moment that the darkness really set in, Churchill says, okay, why don't we begin peace talks with Germany? See, the darkness will cause you to question everything. But Jesus has an answer for that. Jesus says, look, when you're questioning everything, fear will cause spiritual amnesia in your life. And so I'm going to need you to remember what you know. See, here's the deal. For a lot of us, the truth resides in you. The Bible says that the word of God and the truth of God has been written on your heart. That's where conviction, that's where all of these things come in. You know what is true. You just have to act on the truth. Right? We say it all the time. A lie believed as the truth is just as powerful as the truth. It's what causes you to move and act. And this is exactly what happens in Matthew chapter 11. Look at what the Bible says. Jesus responds. Um, and they come and they say, hey, like, should we be looking for another person? John's freaked out. He's in jail and he's kind of losing hope. Um, are you sure you're the guy? And Jesus says, go and tell John what you hear and see. This is where he begins to teach on Isaiah 35. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus says, John, you know Isaiah 35. So you guys, his disciples, go tell him everything that you've seen and heard. And he'll remember what he's seen and heard. See, he needs to remember what he already knows. Jesus says, I don't need to prove anything to him. I just need to jog his memory. How many of you just need to hear, like, God loves you? How many of you just need to hear, God's for you? How many of you say you can't out God in his grace? He will always be towards you. How many of you just need to hear that God has a good plan for your life? How many of you just need to hear that it's going to be okay? How many of you just need to hear, like, you, you don't need to fight the battle. God can fight the battle for you. How many of you just need to hear that you were so lovable that you were worth creating? You're not a mistake. The future's good because he's there, and anywhere he is is good. Doesn't mean it won't be hard. Doesn't mean that life is going to go wrong. See, because what has to happen for you and I to remember what we know, we're going to need a testimony. That's why we do this. Pastor Keith this morning preached on loving one another. First John chapter 4, the love one another passages in the gospel, or in First John. And what happens here is, this church and churches and the big C church is put together so that in our darkest moment, we're not alone. Because sometimes all you need is someone who's been there already who can remember the way to the light. Have you ever walked into a dark room that someone already knows? And you're with them and they say, hey, don't, you don't even need to flip on the light. Just take my hand. I know where, the, I know where to go. Don't worry. I got gotcha. you. 
You need the testimony. You need the experience. You need the know-how. You need that. You need someone else to remind you, hey, there is a light switch in here, and I'll show you where it is. I don't even need the lights on. I know the way. That's why the church exists, to grab each other by the hand and love one another and take us out of our darkness and help us to walk with one another. Galatians chapter 6, bearing each other's burdens. Here, put it, I got you. Put it on my back. I know the way. This isn't hard for me. That's exactly what happens to Churchill. The night that he's about to negotiate with Hitler, the king of England, this is from the king's speech, if you know that movie, um, visits him in his home where Churchill's in a dark room sitting alone in the darkness and lost. And the king walks in and turns on the light. And as Britain is about to negotiate with Germany, the king walks in and says, look, don't negotiate. Fight. I'm with you. You're not alone. I'm with you. Everyone else might be gone, but I'm the king, and I'm with you. How many of us need to be reminded that the king can walk into the darkest room of your life, sit down next to you, and say, hey, don't stop. Keep fighting. I'm the king, and I'm with you. And there's going to be nothing on this earth that can come against you because I am here. And so we're going to get out of this room, and we're going to walk towards a greater future. I'm going to take you there. I know the way. I'm going to turn on the light for you. See, because what, what Jesus is saying here is he's quoting Isaiah 35, but here's the incredible thing. It's not just proof in the word, it's proof in the pudding. If you've never read Matthew chapter 9, you need to go back. Because in Matthew chapter 9 and chapter 8, look at what happens in the Bible. Matthew chapter 9, 27 to 30, Jesus heals a blind man. Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 to 8, Jesus heals a lame man. Matthew chapter 8, verses 2 to 4, he heals a leper. Matthew chapter 9, 32 to 33, he hears the deaf. He heals the deaf. Matthew chapter 9, verses 18, 19, and 23, and 26, he raises a dead girl back to life. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 36, he preaches the good news. Jesus says, hey, I, I, you guys go back and tell him everything that I just did. Because everything that I just did fulfills Isaiah chapter 35. And everything that I just did is reminding John the Baptist, who's, who knows his Bible, that I am the God of Isaiah chapter 35, and in the midst of your desert, I will be here. And I am bringing forward new life. And so what do we do as we get ready to end and the band's gonna come up and we're gonna worship? It's really simple. In the middle of your darkest moment, in the middle of looking at your forest fire, all you need to do is look for the light. The Gospel of John says that Jesus is, is, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. This is the light. John chapter 8, verse 12 says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says, just find the light. What's he saying? Find me. And I didn't make it hard. I wrote a book. The best-selling book in the world every year. You can download it on your device. In fact, you can memorize this thing. And when you don't have it on you, it can reside in your heart. I don't want you to forget who I am because I'm the physical embodiment of this. See, because in the darkest of nights, hope shines all the brighter. See, because the world didn't end on May 25th, 1940. 
light entered the situation on May 26, 1940. When dawn broke, over 800 vessels, civilian, by the way, and military boats began, is my mic off? It went off? Oh, it's back, okay. All right, so May 26, when the dawn broke, over 800 civilian boats crossed the English Channel. They began to go get the military. Where the military boats couldn't go in, they could. And every citizen that had a boat in England, which is an island, so a lot of people have boats, got on their boat and crossed the English Channel and went and got those soldiers. Because there was hope. There was light at the end of the tunnel. This was called Operation Dynamo. And over the next eight days, 338,000 soldiers were rescued from Dunkirk. And the battle began to turn. Because they saw the light in the darkest moment, they could begin to believe for the future again. And I have no doubt in my mind that just like there were dark days in our church and there were days that I didn't think this was going to happen and there were days that the, the, there was one night we literally had 15 people in the room. I preached without a microphone. I walked on the floor and we just sat there. And I was like, this is basically it. My daughter was in the hospital because she was having a celiac issue. She was in the ER. My wife wasn't there. And there was 15 people in the room. And I thought, this is it. This is the darkest moment. But I just decided in that moment, I got a phone call that said, just keep going. And now I look back and I remember that dark time and I see the light. We're here and the lights are on. Just need a testimony. I just need to remember what I already know, that when God calls you, he'll provide. And when he provides, it will happen and he'll build the church. We just gotta be faithful to do some of the work. And so as I was finishing this message, I just want to encourage someone with this. This like came to mind and I, I felt like the Lord say, this is for somebody in the room. And so I just need you to hear this as we end. You may be in a desolate place. You may be in a dark room. You may not know the way out and feel completely alone. See, Israel didn't have to escape Babylon. God was going to come get them. All God wanted them to do is in the dark place resist. He will win the battle. You don't need to fight right now. You may just need to stand still because God may be allowing a fire to burn in your life because he wants to bring something new to life. And there's gotta be some things in your life that you're looking towards for the, your future hope that he said, I gotta burn it. We gotta burn the ships so that the only thing left is me and the only thing they'll turn to is me and they can move forward. And so church, you don't need to fight right now. You only need to resist. Even when it seems hopeless, the Lord will win the day. Just look for the light. And in just a few days, we will remember when the light of heaven entered this earth. And a babe was born in a manger that became a man who died for our sins. The darkest place we would ever be. And he didn't just show us where the light source was. He came in and gave light and grabbed us out of a prison. And he took us home. And so if you're feeling hopeless and helpless, all you need to do is turn to him. 
And I promise you, he's really good at rescuing. He's really good at sending the boats. And he's really good at winning the war. So let him win. Don't give up. Just resist. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this day and this time. God, I pray this morning that wherever people find themselves at this moment, that there is probably a desert in their heart and in their soul somewhere. Your word promises in Isaiah 35, you bring new life, you bring streams to the desert and blossom will come and the blind will see and the lame will move and the deaf will hear and the mute will sing and you will raise dead people back to life and you will do the incredible. And not just in the physical, you'll do it in our souls. And so Lord, I pray today that you turn the light on, that people see the hope. I pray today that they grip their Bible a little tighter, that maybe today's the day they need to start that Bible plan, or maybe today's the day they need to let someone in. Maybe today's the day they need to try praying again for the first time in forever. Whatever it is, God, I believe you want them here and in this church to not do this alone and that the testimony of all of us seeing the hand of God move will bring them hope and joy. May they remember what they already know. Thank you for jumping into today's message, and we truly hope that you were encouraged. If you were encouraged, would you like and share this with someone that you truly love and care about? It may just be the thing that they need to get through this week. Also, let us know how the message impacted you, and please let us know any ways that we can be praying for you. But finally, I just wanted to take a minute to thank all of our supporters and those who give generously to make all that we have and do here at Bedrock happen. If you'd like to support us, you can do that really quickly by texting 84321 with any amount and setting up text to give, or you can give on our website. Thank you once again for all that you do, and we hope to see you soon.